Welcome back, and thank you for joining me for another week of The Devil Came Knocking. If you would like to support the podcast, you can sign up to make a monthly donation directly through the link on Spotify. You can make a one-time donation by sending it to me on Cash App. My Cash App is capital D, A W G, capital N, A T I O N, zero three. Or just simply leave a five-star rating or a review wherever you listen at. This goes a long way in helping get the podcast noticed in the search bar. This week I have a special interview for you to listen to. We will discuss what happens once the six were returned to Tennessee. And we will discuss Eric Kahn, who was Natasha's first attorney in the case. Let's jump right into it. First, the interview is with a young lady named Erica Jimenez. Erica was in the juvenile facility in Arizona with Karen and Jason. She was kind enough to come on today and share with us what she remembers about her time with them. She was actually Karen's cellmate, so she spent more time with her than anyone while Karen was in Arizona. Here is what Erica had to say. Erica, I thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Um, will you just kindly introduce yourself a little bit and tell everybody about how you're involved with the case? Um, my name is Erica, and back in 19, I believe it was 97, I was um, at the Bisbee Juvenile Detention Center with uh, Karen Howell and Jason Bryant. Okay, and um, do you remember anything about Karen and Jason when they were brought into the facility? Um, well, I actually was in the same cell as Karen. Karen and I both were in the same cell, so I got to meet her first. Uh, she was very quiet. Um, I remember her um, just being really sad and just really quiet at first. Um, and uh, I met Jason probably the following day, and um, uh, he just, um, from the minute that I, I, I laid my eyes on him, I, he just gave me the worst feeling ever. He just, he, he was scary, even even for, you know, when you're, you're a kid, you really don't pay attention to that a lot, you know, especially where we were in a juvenile everybody was just pretty much the same but there was just something about jason that just i remember just giving me the heebie-jeebies like oh but it, and i never felt that way with karen but there was just something about him okay and um while you were and karen were sharing a cell did you guys ever discuss her crimes or why she was in there we did it took a while um i had already heard from one of the detention officers. So the story that we were given was um, that there was a group of satanic worshipers that were caught at the border trying to flee after having gone on like this murderous spree and having like uh, killed a family and their kids for Satan. And that was the word around the juvenile detention center. So of course, none of us wanted to be in the same cell as these satanic worshipers uh so but um of course that's not what at all what it was um and as i got to uh be with karen it took her a while to open up she did not open up immediately um it, it, it took her a while but she did open up to me and tell me 
what happened. And, and it was like bits and pieces until then I, I got the complete story from her. Okay, and do you recall what Karen's version was to you back then? Yes, I do. So, um, I remember, so she told me about the night that they partied at the hotel. Uh, she told me that they trashed uh, the motel. Uh, I think it was a motel, not a hotel. Uh, they trashed the room and that they were all just um, afraid to get in trouble and that a lot of, uh, you know, most of them just didn't want to even go home. They came from like troubled backgrounds and they've had enough with, you know, their parents and they just wanted to start fresh somewhere else. And I believe it was Natasha who had convinced everybody to take off and just run away. And, and that was all they were gonna do is just really all run away together as a group. And, um, I remember her telling me uh, about them getting pulled over uh, and her thinking that that was the end of their little road trip, running away. And then I remember her saying how surprised they were that they were even let go. And then um, it took a while, but then she told me about what happened at the rest stop. Okay. Um, Do you recall anything about Jason Bryant making any kind of statements in the juvenile facility? Did you get to speak to him at all or anything like that? I did. I had several conversations with Jason, and he was just really out there. Uh, He, on more than one occasion, admitted to being the one who killed all of them. He said that he pulled the trigger on all of them, uh, and he said that, it gave him a rush that he felt so powerful that he had the search through um, come through his veins he was always making statements like that and not just in front of me but in front of other detainees and in front of the actual uh, detention officers and i remember him i remember debbie i don't remember her last name but i remember him saying that in front of debbie who I believe was a supervisor there. And then I remember him saying that in front of uh, Jonathan, which was a New York guy that had just started um, when we were out in the rec room. Uh, but it, it, he said it more than once uh, in front of me. I must have heard him at least tell the story of what happened twice and him admit that he was the one who shot everyone. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask you the other day, do you remember a Richard... And I'm not really sure how to pronounce his last name. Uh, Azirio, maybe? Arviso. Arviso. That's probably it. Ricky. Yeah. Um, Yes, I do remember Ricky. I found some uh, documents pertaining to him and Jason. Uh, Would you say that Richard... What can you tell me about Richard? Um, Richard was um, from Douglas and just in and out of juvie like a lot of us were at that time. Um, so he was, he was quite a frequent flyer of the, of the detention center. But I mean, he was just, he, he was never in there for, for um, the petty things like, you know, not going to school or um, fighting or just, you know, things like that. But I do believe that Ricky and Jason were in the same cell at one point because we were all together. It, it, there was no separation from uh, males to females. Like we could be in one cell and then next to us, there would be two males next to us. So that it, we weren't housed separately. Okay. And I do, I want to remember that Ricky and, and Jason ended up together in the same cell for 
for a couple of weeks um, before I believe Ricky left. You're absolutely correct on that. Um, what I seen um, in the documents up here in Tennessee, uh, Jason apparently made some similar confessions to Richard, and um, he actually went to the juvenile authorities there at the facility with the threats, or with the um, what Jason had told him, and then Jason made some threats against Richard while they were there and um I think they were eventually separated because of those threats okay. uh but yeah. I was just curious I, I don't remember that I don't remember that happening but I do remember initially them being together and then not and then Ricky being separated from the I, I didn't know that that was the reason for it um especially because Jason was very vocal about what he had done and um how good he felt about it that was quite shocking um to hear that you know, for all of us, because really, when I think back to the people that were there during that time, we were all there for just, compared to that, we were all there for just really petty stuff, like not going to school and, you know, or fighting at school, or uh, some of them were in there for like some petty gang activity. There was no one in there for murder or even any type of like violent crime like that, no. Okay, um, and do you recall Karen making any kind of statements as far as being a Satan worshiper, a cultist, anything like that in your time with her? No, not at all. Um, I remember her saying that they played around um, with the Ouija board, and I, and I always got the sense that it was more of a Natasha thing than it was a Karen. Okay. Um, and... Um, but during the time that I was there with her, she never once, you know, did anything like that or, you know, prayed to Satan or even mentioned, you know, Satan in any way. Um, she, she was quite a sweet girl, very quiet. She, um, you could just see the remorse and how scared she was. And, uh, it, yeah, no, never anything. She never did anything like that when she was with me. She never talked about having uh done any type of rituals or <laughs> nothing like that at all okay is there anything else that you would like to tell everybody um before we cut the interview off here uh i just what from what i've been the story has always been consistent from what karen told me happened and i mean we're talking what it's been like what over 20 years ago 25 and years next month I, yeah, I was 15 when this happened, I believe 14 or 15. And, it, you know, the story has always remained the same. She has never changed any part of her story from, you know, start to finish. Um, I was actually quite in shocked uh, when I found out that, you know, they had taken a plea bargain. She had taken a plea bargain, especially with the amount of witnesses that there were at the detention center, um, in, in not just as juveniles, but adults, like, you know, these detention officers that overheard Jason repeatedly say that he's the one who, who pulled the trigger. And Jason, um, Karen has always maintained that the story of him shooting himself in the hand for self-defense. I knew that had somebody come up and asked me, like, it wasn't something that he just, you know, that was just invented. Like I've been knowing this for 25 years. That was the story he told. He said it to me. He, he said, I shot myself in the hand because I was going to say that it was self-defense. 
And so there's just the story from what Karen has told me has always remained the same. And in listening to your podcast, it, it just, it's all the same, you know, from start to finish, how it happened, who was involved, uh, Crystal having nothing to do with it. And that's something that Karen always uh, said to me was that Crystal really had no involvement and she was new to this all. She said, I barely even know her. I remember her saying that, like, she just had met her. Um, but I do, in in the story, and when Karen would speak of it, I, I just always got the sense that Natasha was a part of egging some of this on, and uh, Jason, of course, just, it was never the plan to hurt. This family was never the plan to kill anyone at all. It was just they were going to take the car and they were going to take whatever money they had and, and they were supposed to leave them somewhere where it would take them a while to get back uh, to call for help and give them enough time to leave. That that was what she thought was going to happen. And, 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 and I, I don't believe even Crystal knew what was going on until they got there. So that part of that you mentioned in the podcast, it's, it all hits on things that Karen told me 25 years ago. Um, yeah, Karen's story is amazingly consistent, um, cause I've found documents, uh, written, handwritten statements, you know, going back to 97 and that's one part that struck me is how consistent her story is. Um, one question, more question I wanted to ask, did the authorities from Greenville ever come down and talk to you guys? I know you really can't speak for everybody. But were you ever questioned by the Greenville authorities? No, and I actually, at the time, um, I had a juvenile probation officer, I believe Ronnie Roston was his name, and I remember him uh, saying to me that that might be a possibility, uh, and if that were to happen, that I was to call him first before I spoke to anyone, since I was the one who was in there in her, we were together in the same cell and um, I shared a cell with her. So I, I, it was told to me that it could be a possibility. Never happened. I find that really strange that they never even questioned the cellmate. And, and how long were you guys housed together? Uh, from the day she got there to the day she left. Um, and I want to, I mean, in there, the day, it seems like you're in there forever, but I want to say it was at least what it was, must've been a month, month and a half before they got. Okay. I'll have to check those. Ex yeah. I'll have to check those exact dates. I'm not sure what they are, but, um, I'll yeah. check that out. Well, Erica, I thank you for your time and I thank you for taking the time to interview with me. Um, you've been really helpful and I appreciate it a lot. Well, thank you, and good luck, and, and thank you for doing this and trying to shine some truth and and what all happened and and give it another so – give them – it's not that we're trying to validate what they did, or but I feel like they were – all of them were persecuted under this cult, satanic, honest killer spree out to kill all these people for Satan, and, it, and it, that's just not at all. Yeah, and that's what, something – that's something I want to be clear about right now. I don't, I'm not here to defend any of them's culpability in the crimes. They, they all had, they all played a part, but, but I'm not comfortable with taking the lives of six individuals based on the actions of one. Um, should they have all went to prison? Absolutely. But they don't all deserve to die there. 
And there, exactly. 25 years later, I think it's time for, you know, at least in, in the most minimum, you know, Crystal and, and Karen and Dean yeah. deserve, well, deserve to, to be out. And I think, you know, not only them, but I think the family deserve, the family, the victims, um, they deserve to know the truth about what really happened and not just these fabricated stories that were pushed by some, a couple of attorneys in the media. Um, the family deserves to know what happened to, you know, their family. I agree. And, um, well, yeah, and I think you're doing a great job. So thank you for that. And thank you for being fair. The media had already turned the case into a circus before the six were even returned to Tennessee. They would be flown from Arizona to Knoxville where they were picked up by the Greene County Sheriff's Department and transported back to the jail at Greene County. I thought it was interesting. I couldn't find any statements during this transport from any of the six individuals except Crystal Sturgill, who was questioned by one of the investigators with Greene County on the way back to Greene County. She would immediately request a lawyer. This is even in the investigator's report, although he would continue to question her, and this would make all of the statements made inadmissible in court. Crystal, however, would help the investigators by taking them back to the rest area and walking them through the details of the crime, as well as going back to Payne Hollow and telling them what she could remember there. Awaiting their arrival back at Greene County was a mob of media and angry citizens who, as one citizen put it, just wanted to see the baby killers. One local business owner built a set of gallows in front of his business and hung six nooses from it. Once the six were all back in Tennessee, four of the six would be appointed public defenders. Dean Mullen's family would hire a private attorney out of Kentucky to represent him and Eric Kahn would represent Natasha. We will talk about all the other lawyers in future episodes, but today I wanna to talk about Mr. Kahn and the impact he left on the case. Also, while going through the paperwork this week preparing the episode, Two names kept coming up in the discovery papers in the courthouse documents. These two names seemed to be where the prosecution got their satanic cult rumors from. One name in particular. I talked with these individuals' families this week, and I told the families I would not release their names out of respect for them both because both of them have passed away and are not here to defend themselves or say anything as to what their statements truly were. The family states though, that the woman involved up until her death could not watch anything about the case because of the way the prosecution spun her statements. The family seems to state that there was some occult aspects to the case, mainly with Natasha and Karen, but seems to be much more Wicca religion related witchcraft type aspects than Satanism.
Eric Christopher Kahn was a lawyer based out of Betsy Lane, Kentucky. He specialized in social security disability and was not a criminal defense attorney. He took the case pro bono and had only been practicing law for four years. He would pour jet fuel on the media circus around the case and damaged the case of all the defendants involved. Once hired by Madonna, Natasha's mother, he would immediately begin to try and negotiate movie deals about the case and seem far more concerned with the media than defending Natasha. In an effort to build an insanity defense, he began to play into the satanic rumors of the case and was directly responsible for the Satan's daughter headline you see about Natasha all the time. This behavior would eventually lead Judge Beckner to remove him from the case as he felt that was in Natasha's best interest. Unfortunately, the damage had already been done and the six were already guilty in the minds of the media and the community. Almost 20 years later, Karma would find Mr. Khan and he himself would be the defendant in a case fighting for his freedom. In 2016, he would be arrested in the biggest social security fraud case in American history. Khan's scheme lasted from October 2004 to December of 2017, during which time Khan, along with the judge and several doctors, would fraudulently obtain disability benefits totaling more than $550 million. This would affect thousands of people in both West Virginia and Kentucky. The fraud would be discovered by a Social Security Administration employee who Khan and, Char and Judge Charlie Paul Address would try to have the employee terminated to discredit them. Khan would plead guilty to his crimes in March of 2017. He was on house arrest until his sentencing, but he would cut the monitoring device off and throw it out the window on the side of the interstate before fleeing the country. Six months later, Khan would be returned to the United States after being captured in Honduras. While on the run, he would be sentenced to 12 years in prison for the fraud. He would get an additional 15 years for fleeing prosecution, and he is now serving 27 years in federal prison for his crimes. If you're interested in learning more about this, Apple has a documentary that will be coming out on Mr. Khan shortly. As you can see, Mr. Khan went to prison for his crimes as an attorney, and the damage he done to the Lily Lid case is undeniable. That concludes our episode this week of The Devil Came Knocking. A special thank you to Erica Jimenez for taking the time to interview with us this week. I also want to make a special announcement that we have talked to Frank Waddell, one of the responding Greene County deputies that night, and he has agreed to interview with us and talk to us about what he remembers. It's funny, the more I dig into this case, the only people I can find that say anything about a satanic cult are a few of the attorneys, the media, and a couple disgruntled teenagers from Kentucky who had a bone to pick with a few of the members of the six. A lot of it just seems to be hearsay that was blown out of proportion about one or two weird kids and applied to all six. It's truly a sad situation. 
I have more interviews coming up with Karen, some of Karen Howe's family. And we will also still be doing Karen and Dean's story. And Dean's mom will be interviewing with us in the coming weeks as well. We will also begin to talk about the other lawyers in the case. And while Eric Kahn may have been the most extreme, all six seem to be just as unprepared as Eric was. We will also dig into Berkeley Bell, the district attorney in the case a little more, and I will release some more of the interview that me and him had. I look forward to it and I hope you will join us again in the coming weeks. Thank you.